mindful my posture. I don't have my phone. I'm good. <laughs> We're good to go. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens Show, and I want to talk about uh, the disaster at the border. We hear so many arguments, primarily our congresswomen are talking about uh, how horrible it is uh, for the migrant children, and that seems to be the debate. One group of people that seem to be missing from this debate are the parents who have lost their children uh, to migrants illegal immigrants that have killed Americans. Why don't we have anybody in Congress talking about that? Why haven't they been given a platform? Why don't we see them on CNN and MSNBC? Where are the images of those children? I am absolutely honored today to speak to one of those parents, an angel mother. Uh, Marianne Mendoza, welcome to The Candace Owens Show. Thank you, Candace. I appreciate it. You are doing so much work, so much incredible work. I got to meet you here down at the border, uh, which has clearly become a passion for you, and you've been incredibly outspoken. Um, and I want to start at the beginning of your journey with this. Um, and let's actually start in 2013. Uh, what was your perspective? Were you always aware? You grew up in, in Arizona. Yes. Uh, were you always aware that there was a crisis at the border? Absolutely. Um, we've got a very large population of Hispanic people in Arizona, but you know the areas where there's undocumented illegal aliens living. And my son was very aware of the crime statistics and things that went on. In fact, an area that he was given in, in Mesa to revitalize by the Mesa Police Department, he was given a project, was mainly um, illegal aliens who lived there. Oh, really? So, so your son became a police officer in what year? He was killed in 2014. It was 2001. So he was serving for 13 years. Yes. Brandon Mendoza is his name. Um, and, and he was serving for 13 years and particularly in an area. So he was dealing uh, with illegal immigrants uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes. And and what was his perspective? Did he, did he, he love his job? Obviously, he's passionate. Oh. He knew at the age of 13 that he wanted to be a police officer. He wanted wow. a Franklin Daytimer and a dry erase board for his birthday. And uh, he started working and um, tried to get into the academy at, at 18, and they wouldn't allow him to. He was too young. And so at 19, they allowed him into the police academy, and he uh, he was the youngest recruit at that time. So he knew that's what he wanted to do. My son knew that, you know, and this is the way I feel. I'm a little different than some angel families. I know that not we cannot have every illegal alien who's in this country go back home. But Instead of letting them to keep flooding over our borders, we need to take care of the ones that are here, the one who have been here 20 and 30 years, contributing members of society. They haven't broken our laws. They haven't been in trouble. They aren't on public welfare. They aren't getting um, housing assistance. Those are the type of people that, that can integrate, and they've assimilated themselves to our, our country and the way that we live. And those are the people that we need to be focusing on who are illegal to help them for a path to, you know, um, citizenship here in the country. We can't keep flooding our borders and overwhelming our, our judges until we solve the problem that we that we have here in our country now. My son recognized this. 
And, and he, at such a young age, I, I want to talk about that because I want to talk about the spirit and the heart of, of our Leos, our law enforcement officers, because um, we have sort of watched the image of what it means to be a law enforcement officer deteriorate over the oh. last uh, over the last few years. I think it started when Obama was in office. Yes. And um, I don't remember growing up and feeling resentment or hatred toward police officers. And, and now it's been popularized. And we saw that recent video, I'm sure you saw it, of the New York Police Department having water dumped on them. And, and my heart ached. My heart ached and they could do nothing back. And if they had done something back, we know uh, that they would have had cameras out trying to paint them as monsters. Mm -hmm. So your son, 13 years old, knows that he wants to be a police officer, right? So the spirit of a 13-year-old, right? And this is He's not trying to become a police officer because he's thinking, um, what, what, what's the narrative today? I want to harm black people, right? I want to harm Hispanic people. He, what, what was he thinking? Tell me about that when he came to you and said he wanted to be a police officer. He loved people. I mean, everybody felt you know, after he was killed, everybody thought that they were his best friend because that's how he made people feel. He wanted to make a difference in his community, and he did make a difference. I mean, if people Google Sergeant Brandon Mendoza, you will be amazed at some of the articles you read about him. But he wanted to be a modern-day B-cop. And so when he was given this project in South Mesa, which was a terrible area infested with drug dealers and homeless people, um, he went door-to-door -door and met everybody in that neighborhood. Wow. And ended up getting the park cleaned up and the drug dealers out of there and the homeless people situated in um, shelters or, you know, reached out to family to try and help. He cleaned the whole area up. And, you know, his nickname in that area was Hollywood. And so when he would show up on, on duty, the young girls would say, Mendoza's here. And they'd all run in and get their makeup on. And even some of the mothers would do that. <laughs> But he would be invited in for dinner. He would look after the elderly in the area. He had phone numbers to their children who lived out of the area that if he would stop in and check on them and there was a problem, he would call their kids and say, hey, you need to get over here. Mom and dad need help. He went above and beyond and even went into some of the apartment complexes and fought for those people because they had slumlords. Right. And so he went to building codes in, in the city of Mesa. So this, just, this relationship sounds familial. Like he, yes. he became a police officer because he wanted to be the overseer of a community. Right. And, and he wanted, I mean, he's like the father of the community, going door to door, learning the names. I mean, that's going above and beyond. You don't have to no. go door to door and learn the names of the people that you're serving. And there was a boys and girls club within that, um, com that community. And he would go in and mentor the children there. And then he started a annual Thanksgiving dinner and would, wow. and would feed those people sometimes um, out of the area would come in also, but I continued that tradition with him because I went and helped him several times. And last year we fed 650 people. It's called the Mendoza Thanksgiving dinner now. I love that. But, um, this is just what he did for his community. He bought three bicycles prior to his death for three grandchildren that were being raised by their grandparents in that area. He wanted to give those to him at Christmas. And of course he died and um, the police department did present him to the children. I provided Christmas for that family for two years after he was killed. Um, started the Sergeant Brandon Mendoza Memorial Foundation. So I bought new playground equipment for the Boys and Girls Club and they needed it just to try and keep his spirit alive in our community. So the Sergeant Brandon Mendoza um, Memorial Foundation is a community-based, non-political organization that I started right after he was killed. Now, when he became a police officer, did you ever have uh, any fear? Like, when, did you oh. every day just think, 
my son's out there in the world serving a community, but obviously he's risking his life. I mean, you're serving, you're, you're risking your life every single day. What is that like as a parent of a law enforcement officer? Well, let me tell you, when Brandon graduated from the police academy, he was on graveyard shifts. And a few months before he graduated from the academy, um, his one of his older brothers was deployed to Iraq. So, so I was family. at a very I was at a very worrisome time in my life because if I'd hear sirens in the middle of the night, I was worried about Brandon, and of course, I was continually worried about Jared because, you know, Iraq, and and that's when the actual war was going. So on. Jared is Brandon's younger brother. Older brother. Older brother. And Jared went to Iraq, and then you've got Brandon, who's serving his community here. How did you sleep? Oh, it was it was nerve-wracking. Very nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, and how long did Jared serve for? Jared is still in the Army. He's got three years left, and he'll be able to retire. Wow. Wow, so, that is amazing. So you, you've just raised uh, sons that really wanted to give back yeah. and wanted to serve their country. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so take me to, I want to I talk about the morning, or was it the evening, that, that you found out that something had happened. Can you walk us through that? Well, Mother's Day was on May 11th. So Brandon had come over in the morning and presented me with a Keurig machine and said, welcome to the 21st century, Mom, because, you know, I had an, an old-time coffee maker so we spent the day together. Brandon and I had a great relationship. We traveled a lot. Um, he was only one of my four children who wasn't married at the time. So we spent a lot of time together. He went to work and stopped back by. Um, my oldest son was there making dinner for me for Mother's Day. So Brandon stopped by to eat with us. And he left. He had a call and said, I'll be back for dessert. And then he texted and said, I can't come back. It's getting pretty busy at work. And, and so I said, OK. Um, so he was on his way home. Um, shortly after midnight, and um, I got a call about quarter of three from a fellow police officer who was also Air National Guard, and he was deployed to Iraq at the time, excuse me, Afghanistan. And he called and said, Ma, Brandon's been in a terrible accident. And so I hung up from him, and I kept trying to call Brandon's phone, and he wasn't answering. And it was about 15 minutes later, the Mesa Police Department was knocking at my door. So the police department came to your door? Yeah. And uh, they took me down to the hospital. How many officers? Um, there was one in the vehicle with me. He wouldn't give me any answers. But when we arrived at the hospital and I saw the amount of police cars in the parking lot, I knew it wasn't good. What was his demeanor like? Because I think what people don't realize is they're brothers, right? So they're yeah. brothers that are knocking on the door of someone um, to, del to, to tell you that something has gone on. What was their demeanor like? Um, like I said, I, he was very shut down and, and I kept saying, is he okay? And he said, ma'am, I don't know. You know, that's why I'm here to take you to the hospital. But what's amazing in that moment of tragedy, all of his friends and all of my family and all of my friends, I couldn't think of one person to make a phone call to, to tell him to get to the hospital because my mind was just blank. Wow. And, um, by the time I got to the hospital, then, you know, I, I kind of had my wherewithal and I was asking a couple of people to make phone calls for me. But when I first walked into the emergency room and I saw one of his best friends who was an officer crouched down, crying uncontrollably, whew, I knew it wasn't good. And um, about 20 minutes after I got there, then uh, the doctor came out and talked to me and told me my son had succumbed to his injuries in surgery. So... Um, that's the day my world felt like it ended. Um, was the, was I had anybody made it there? Was it just his best friends and the police officers that were there? The the emergency room was so crowded with people. Um, 
I was overwhelmed at the amount of people that, that were there. But what was even over, more overwhelming was after the fact, and, uh, you know, I, they put a big memorial up down at the park that he had, that he had revitalized for the families. And uh, I went down there, and people were approaching me and just telling me how much they loved my son. And children were coming up to me and saying, Mrs. Mendoza, who's going to buy us Dairy Queen and who's going to buy us pizza? Because Brandon would go on his days off and play kickball with the kids in the park and buy them pizza or Dairy Queen when they were done playing. So um, it not only affected me and changed my life, it affected these children's lives. Right. And this is a, this is a largely, this is a minority. Right. Minority children. Right. Right. And, and their lives are affected. And there's this outpouring of love for you. Right. And I mean, what is, what is it like just waking up the next day and your whole world is different? What do you do? What, who do you call? I didn't sleep for probably three days, um, four days. And his friends came over to give me something to make me sleep. But I don't, I don't, I'm not like a pill popper kind of a woman. And so it was really hard for me to do that. But I couldn't sleep because every time I closed my eyes, um, just, you know, thoughts of him. I look back on Facebook. I was making the most unbelievable posts on Facebook. I didn't even know I was doing it. But, you know, I look back when the memories were coming up that on that year anniversary. I was like, oh, my gosh, it just ripped me apart. But the amount of people that showed up at his viewing and the amount of people that showed up at the funeral, the funeral procession was 10 miles long. Wow. And it was lined with people. I mean, children from elementary schools, they had... Um, just citizens standing out there with signs, we love you, Officer Mendoza. I mean, I I was overwhelmed. Um, and the things that I found out that my son was doing for people, you know, spending his own money Christmas shopping for families, um, I just, I was amazed. And, and that inspired me that I had to fight for this spirit, this man, this, person who cares so much for his community, I had to fight now for him and for anybody else that would, you know, suffer the same fate that he did. I had to fight to try and prevent that now. Well, how did Jared find out? So Jared is overseas in this moment? Well, Jared and his family were home um, for about two weeks because they were coming from Germany to go to Korea. Okay. And um, thank goodness we had updated family photos taken. Um, while Jared was home, and he had just left a few days earlier to go to Korea. So, you know, they were on a 12-hour flight with the family to get there, and um, Brandon was killed on Jared's birthday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Jared and his family had to get on a plane from Korea and come back home. On his birthday. So and it was Mother's Day. Mother's and then you Day. Had your, son, your older son's birthday. Um, and and this year it was Mother's Day, Jared's birthday, and Brandon's death anniversary. So it was three days all wrapped up in one this year. But the most gut wrenching moment, and I and I I've got a daughter, she's younger than Brandon. But the most gut wrenching moment was when Jared came back home, and my two older sons embraced in the kitchen and wouldn't let go of each other because you know they had lost a brother. This is what America doesn't understand, the emotional toll that it takes on a family. And yes, he could have been killed by a drunk American driver. Absolutely. 
You know, I understand that. But he wasn't. This is a preventable death. And this man had already committed crimes in our country. And he didn't show up for his court date. And they apprehended him at the border, coming back over one time, and took him back up to Colorado to face the judge and to face his crimes. Excuse me. And the judge basically just gave him a slap on the wrist and, and let him back out into our communities. Right. And this is what Americans need to understand. The leniency that our judges and our courts, because they're of such, such a liberal mindset, that they think that these people just have a right to be here. They don't. Right. Um, How did you the find The criminals out? don't. How did you find out who... Uh, when, I, when he got involved in the accident, uh, the illegal alien, and I'm, I don't want to give, give him any, oh, I don't want to talk ne- about his I name. I don't ever. Yeah, so the, the illegal animal, the, the criminal. Um, how did you find out that he was an illegal alien? Was he in the hospital as well? He died in the accident. He died in the accident. Okay, so it was, it was a, um, you know, two I've fatalities. Been, I, I've been spared the tragedy that so many angel families have to have to go through. Number one, that the person runs and they're never caught and, and they they still have no justice. Number two, you've got a trial that drags on and on and on forever. You know, Steve Ronnebeck lost his son Grant in Mesa, Arizona, shot in the face by a repeated legal, legal alien criminal at a convenience store over a pack of cigarettes. And it's four and a half years later and there's still no trial. And now he's been deemed intellectually disabled. Um, they do anything and everything for these illegal alien criminals. Right. Now, so the and and correct me if I'm wrong. So that accident happened uh, because this criminal was driving on the wrong side of the road for like four miles, right? No, thirty-five miles. Thirty-five. The miles. wrong way. Transitioned onto four different freeways the wrong way. He was three times the legal limit, drunk, high on meth, and uh, Brandon was on an HLV uh, lane that went up an elevated and curved to transition onto another freeway and that's where he was hit. He didn't see this he didn't see it coming. Wow. That's unbelievable. The and the illegal was going over a hundred miles an hour when he slammed on high on meth amphetamine. And and these are the types of individuals um that we are currently seeing that people are fighting to protect. Right. Um saying that they should have rights and that they're, you know, escaping tragedies and they just want to come here for a better life. Well my question would be what better life was this person pursuing that he was already being recycled mm-hmm. through our criminal system, right? What better life was he pursuing that he was high on methamphetamine um, and drinking and driving on the wrong side of the road for 35 miles? What does it do to you? Uh, because you know what an officer is. You know what your what your son's heart was when he was 13 years old and he said, Mom, I want to be a police officer. Um, you know what he, what he meant to his community because they showed up uh, at a 10-mile-long funeral procession uh, to honor his life. What does it do to you to see the leftist mainstream narrative uh, that police officers are monsters, um, that that their lives shouldn't be valued, uh, that we should have open borders um, and allow uh, more of these types of individuals in without any vetting whatsoever? What does that do for someone who lost their son so tragically? It's disgusting to me that, that anybody would treat a police officer this way. And, you know, those cowards who are the ones throwing the buckets of water, those will be the first ones calling when somebody screams something at them that they don't like or throws a bucket of water on them. The cops will be the first people that they call. So the level of respect, I blame Obama. He started this rhetoric 
you know, when he completely ignored those Dallas officers that were killed, he didn't stand up as a as a president and speak to that immediately and and bring that notion down. And these men and women, I think about them so often, these men and women, not only police officers, but sheriffs and paramedics and border patrol and all these all these men and women who go out and put a uniform on to protect citizens in this country. I cannot imagine the struggle they go through every day putting that uniform on. Right. You know, and and this is a sad state of affairs when this is in our country. And, you know, obviously a military person who's who's in the middle of a war and in a war in deployed, you know, you fear for their lives and you and you do pray that they come back home and that and that they're not injured and killed. But how sick is this that this is in our country and our own citizens are willing to cause this kind of harm to our our law enforcement officers. Right. Right. And and we right now, uh, we have a house that's overrun um, by, by Democrats and they're holding a lot of uh, hearings and they want to talk about white supremacy and they want to talk about white nationalism and they want to talk about uh, police brutality. Have, has anybody reached out to you? Uh, any, any of these congresswomen or these congressmen reached out to you to talk about the American side of the story, how illegal immigration impacts American families? Never. And that was... Um, I don't know if your viewers are aware of the fact that I'm suspended on Twitter, but that was one of my tweets that I put out that they said I had to remove. Okay, so I, I, I want to I make sure they are aware. So last week, um, you received a suspension from Twitter, um, and they did not tell you what the reasons were. They said that your posts were not okay. What were the posts? Um, I had called out Camilla Harris, asking her when she was going to, what law could I break that she would defend me so staunchly? What, would she provide sanctuary for me for breaking the law? And every American citizen that is killed by an illegal alien that you're protecting, you have blood on your hands. Mm -hmm. Hashtag blood on your hands. I use that. Um, told Nancy Pelosi that every hour an American is affected by an illegal alien criminal. Every hour. Um, called out Joe Kennedy because, you know, he had posted some things when – Vice President Pence was down there and showed all of those men in the holding facilities, and he had put some tweet out about that. And I said, these are fighting age men. God forbid one of them harm someone that you love. I know firsthand what it's like to have an illegal alien um, criminal destroy your family. Right. Um, and then I had one to Diane Feinstein saying, when are, is there going to be a hearing about the 4,300-plus Americans that are permanently separated from their families every year? Great question. You're pissing off the wrong people, your fellow Americans. You have blood on your hands. Hashtag right. blood on your hands. So I don't know if it's blood on your hands. I can't I don't be know because I, they said that to me. Yeah. They've tweeted that at me millions of times when and ludic for ludicrous reasons. I mean, they've tried to blame me for the mosque shooting in New Zealand. But the amount of tweets that I got from blue checkmark people saying, uh, you have blood on your hands because your rhetoric inspires people to hate. Those people weren't suspended. I didn't even ask for those people to be suspended. I thought it was, you know, ridiculous and I moved on from it. So no, it's not because you said blood on your hands. I can confirm that it is not because you said blood on your hands. So something else is going on here. I had illegal aliens in capital letters, which I always use capital letters. They when I'm are illegal to them. aliens. Yes. So so I don't think capitalized letters me. are banned on Twitter. I'm not sure, but I've, I've used capitalized letters on Twitter. So why are they banning you? Twitter support won't respond to me. Mm. Um, so they've not only silenced me, but now they're ignoring me. And what's ironic is. 
Two days ago, I got an email from somebody I had reported who had sent me a very hateful, threatening type tweet. And I just got a response two days ago from Twitter. They're responding to that. This does not violate our terms. Correct. I got that. And just block this user to have an enjoyable experience on Twitter so you don't have to hear from this person again. Hmm. So it's interesting because we also know that we have people in Congress that are trying to fight uh, for the right for for Twitter. They want Twitter essentially to shut down anybody that criticizes um, government government members, um, which would be amazing to see because all of them criticize Trump the entire time, right? Um, but it makes you wonder if what they're really banning you for is because they are trying to protect a narrative, right? Yes. And we see this narrative heating up going into an election cycle where they are trying to paint um, these illegal, illegal aliens as victims that need to be protected. Right. And um, I can that's the only thing I can surmise as to why you would be banned. Because let me tell you, capital letters and saying blood on your hands is, does not violate any terms on Twitter. And, and those people do have the option to block you. And if they feel um, that they don't like that language, they certainly should block you. Right. Um, but it does seem that it only goes one way, these mm-hmm. bannings and these suspensions. Um, and to know that we have someone like you who has a real lived experience. You have every right uh, to feel angry and to feel frustrated uh, with, the, with the lack of support um, that Americans are getting in this, in this debate, the lack of even showmanship. Show up. Uh, show up and listen to what the angel moms have to say. They won't even utter the name angel moms or angel families. They won't even acknowledge that our children have died but, you know, let's just be real honest. It's not only about the Americans that are killed, Candace. There's hundreds of thousands of Americans that are affected by illegal crime every year. Rape, identity theft, assault, hit and runs. The list goes on and on and on. There's a child rape epidemic going on in North Carolina right now by illegal aliens. If people go to ncfire.info, you will be stunned at the amount of illegal aliens who are raping American children. Why aren't these women, why aren't these Hollywood elite, why aren't these female congressional leaders who are screaming so much about these children at the border, why aren't they standing up for American children? Just yesterday, I read where a Guatemalan or Honduran man had come over the border with a child, and he sexually has has sexually assaulted that child now because it wasn't his child. Of course. And that's this why is they are what separated. Trump is doing at our borders. And these are the measures that Border Patrol is taking to make sure these children belong to these people. Correct. And these liberal hypocrites don't give a damn. What happens to those children? What their fate is? What's going to happen to them? They only want to have something to scream and yell at Trump about. It was a manufactured crisis six months ago. It's at a fevered pitch now, so they have to come down here and, and take a look at it. And AOC just wants something to scream and yell. The squad wants something to blame him on. And their stupid little videos and the lies that they tell in there. And then Border Patrol's ordering beds because they were screaming that they're sleeping on the floor. And now she calls for them to, to boy, the Americans to boycott Wayfair for selling beds to Border Patrol. Right, exactly. There is no solution they in their rhetoric. They don't want solutions. So the, no. the reason is because I, and I believe the reason is that they don't want solutions, no. right? Because, I mean, really, these people really follow the Marxist ideology. They want this sort of constant revolution to be going on. And if there is a solution, people will be satisfied, right? They want an uprising. You can't have an uprising where there are solutions. Right. 
And, um, you know, I think Dan Crenshaw does a really good job mm -hmm. of breaking down and explaining what the crisis is and how these people are actually stopping. If they claim that they want to, you know, to fix it, why are you denying funding? Mm -hmm. Why are you denying funding to HHS, which is which is where these children um, are being held? Why are you telling people to protest Wayfair? If they're the ones that are sending the beds, why should why should their employees be walking out and staging a boycott or a protest? Um, and, and people need to know that. People need to know that uh, multiple people are being hurt here, right? So the children that are in holding facilities and the angel moms are being hurt by this rhetoric. Um, and, and it's important that people understand this and really get down to the issues and, and rise above the rhetoric because we are facing a crisis. American families are being harmed, but so are illegal children who are, are being Absolutely. walked over the border with people that aren't their parents. These actually aren't their parents. It is necessary to separate them to determine whether or not in these highly sex trafficked and drug trafficked areas, whether or not these are in fact the children um, of the people that they're being escorted over the border with. Uh, so 15,000 children are currently listed as missing in Mexico, 15,000. Since October of last year, 61,000 unaccompanied minors have crossed our borders. 61,000 since October. So do you think about the job that these border patrol agents have to have to deal with figuring this all out? And the and the most sickening part of all of this is these these holding facilities that had all these men that Vice President Pence was standing in front of, you know, and they're holding their fingers up 40 days since a shower. Uh, Y'all were clean shaven, so somehow you got access <laughs> to some facilities to do something, and you look pretty well fed. But because of the time restraints that they have on how long they can hold these people, this is a scary thing, Candace, because they can't properly vet these men. These are fighting age men. They were complete facilities with just fighting age men. I have no respect for them. And a lot of them have left their wives and children at home. If you're fleeing that country because it's so dangerous, what are you doing here sticking your hand out for freebies? Well, that's Why aren't you back home protecting your family? That's correct. And, and the other question is, and this gets into the asylum policies, you say you're fleeing your country because it's so dangerous. Why aren't you going to the next available country? Right. If it really is about danger, why are you skipping through other countries to get to the United States? Oh, I know, because this isn't about you aren't fleeing danger. You see economic opportunities and you're, and you're realizing these economic opportunities because we have leaders in America, politicians in America that are saying, come here and, and, and we'll do everything for you or roll out a red carpet. We're going to fight for you. We're not going to yeah. fight for the American people. We're going to fight for you so that you have handouts, so the government takes care of you. And to the leftists, they just see it as an opportunity to get in another victim class of voters. That's exactly. it. Exactly. Like they're doing exactly to these illegal aliens. They see them as the next economic opportunity um, for, I mean, for them to seize power and grow government. Um, it's exactly what they did to black America. It's what they see as an opportunity with illegal aliens, and they're willing to do that. Um, they're willing to stand on the graves of people like your son, brave men, right? Uh, brave, loving men who cared about their communities. They're willing to, to take those legacies and tear them apart in public because at the end of the day, all they want is power. And that's sickening. It is. It's sickening. It is. You know, and the, these Democrats, it's, it's like if they would just give us a moment to have some sort of a hearing to talk about the devastation, Kathy and Billy Inman, they live in Georgia. Um, they were hit 19 years ago. Um, from an illegal alien, killed their only child. Kathy's been in a wheelchair ever since. Billy just died a few um, last month. Um, a heart attack from the stress of dealing with this, trying to find their son's killer. He's in Mexico. FBI knows where he is. They can't bring him back. 
Mexico won't extradite him for vehicular manslaughter. But this is the devastation this family has lived with. So Kathy's lost her only child, lost her husband, been in a wheelchair for 19 years, excruciating pain every single day. You know, I could go on and on and on with families who've been affected like this. And these are the Congress members, fellow Americans that they turn their back on. Right. They won't even talk to them. They won't even acknowledge that they existed. Right. They won't acknowledge that Dustin existed. And this is what makes me so mad. And, and these are the people who need to have the, the support and, and consideration of our congressional members when they're making decisions on immigration laws and reform and what they need to be doing. They need to take a good look at the amount of Americans that are killed. Yes, there may be 10, 12 people who have died since they've been in um, Border Patrol custody, but those people came walking and, and on this treacherous trek, these children were brought to our Border Patrol agents sick. Um, and our Border Patrol did the best that they could with the overwhelming numbers that they're dealing with every day. And Congress fails to, to mention the overwhelming numbers that they're forcing our Border Patrol agents to deal with right. because of their inaction. Right. We're averaging like 100,000 people a month that are trying to flood our borders. And, and there, there, there is no justice. There's uh -huh. no justice for the American lives that are impacted. There's no justice for the Border Patrol lives that are impacted. Our ICE agents, their lives are being impacted by this rhetoric where people are think it's the media is sanctioning violence against our policemen. They're sanctioning violence against uh, the people that are in ICE. They're sanctioning violence against people that are actually fighting to protect this nation. It's a scary, it's a scary time. Um, but I think that when we have people like you, and 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 if if there's ever a light to see in such a dark in such a dark tragedy, it's that it's inspired you, right? Yes. It's it's put you on fire for something. Um, and, and you're impassioned and you're you're here at the border watching it get built. Uh, you're working with amazing people to make sure that this gets ha this happens. Mm -hmm. Um and and you're keeping Brandon's memory alive. Right. I mean, the people that will watch this and see this will know who Brandon Mendoza is, you know, who, what his legacy is and, and what his heart was about. And, and that's what I hope that we can, we can bring to America today, the discussion that Congress doesn't want you to see. Um, so we wrap up every episode by allowing uh, people to speak directly into that camera, all of my guests, and you get to leave, uh, I guess, a video message for the world, right? <laughs> and uh, just tell them what's on your heart. Tell them what, what you hope that they see, and, and hopefully it falls on the ears of everyone. Are you ready? We're going to give I'm you two ready. minutes. Okay. That's the camera you're going to look at. On your mark, get set, world, here is Marianne Mendoza. Thank you very much. I just want to say that people need to be aware of what's happening to this country. We can't allow a loud majority and the people who push and incite violence and if they don't like what you say, attack you, not only physically but verbally. You've got to realize we are the silent majority. We are the people who care about our country. We are the people who care about what happens to our fellow Americans, unlike the liberal um, maniacs that are out in this world. I've witnessed some of them come after um, patriots who were just trying to have a peaceful rally and, and talk to fellow patriots. So don't be afraid to say that you stand up for your country. Don't be afraid to say that you support our law enforcement officers, that you support our Border Patrol, that you support ICE and the job that they're doing. These men and women deserve so much more than what they've been handed by 
really the rhetoric that our congressional leaders and our liberal politicians, even local elected officials, what they've brought upon these people is sickening. So make sure that your voice is heard. Make sure that you get out there. And when you see a police officer today or tomorrow or this week, go up and shake their hand and thank them for the job that they're doing. I do that every opportunity I get. And some of them are a little apprehensive when they see somebody approaching them because they don't know what they're going to say. But watch what happens when you thank a law officer for what he's doing and thank him for his service and watch his face light up. Those men and women deserve our thanks. So great. Oh, my God. Almost exactly two minutes. You nailed it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. That was awesome. Thank you. Oh. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.